This morning I'm going to be talking about Philippians, uh, Philippians 2, 1 through 4. It's talking about us having unity. Uh, unity is so important. Uh, when somebody comes into God's house on a Sunday morning, uh, unity needs to be number one. Unity is something we don't have very often because we're human and we're people and we have opinions and we all have them and sometimes we don't need to share them and sometimes we do, and, uh, but we get, disunif- we get ununified. But the church is so powerful when we are in unity going towards one direction, towards Jesus. Amen? Uh, just this week, I'm not going to share who or, or what, but this week uh, I had a call from somebody and they said, Brandon, I, I've been struggling and I've just never fought spiritual warfare like I am now. And guys, I don't know who and what our weeks have been. I know everybody's different in here. There's some that are on the spiritual battlefield. There's some that's not. There's some that come in on Sunday morning and you fought no spiritual battles this week. I'm just going to be honest with you. And often we leave here like nothing ever happened because we haven't really been relying on Jesus throughout the week anyway. But guys, when we come into God's house, there are certain people here, and I don't know who they are, but they have been fighting a spiritual battle. And if you have never fought a spiritual battle, my friend, there's nothing harder. There's nothing harder than being in that spot where you have no clue what to do, but you've got to pray for, to the Lord that He can do beyond what we can. There's nothing harder than being in that situation where you have no clue what to say to a person in their misery or in death or in the worst of life and you don't know what to say to them but in that moment you can only give them Jesus but let me tell you something guys Satan is real and Satan comes at times to all of us Christians and he pokes and he says things and he lies And he discourages. And he tells us what he thinks that we should be. And sometimes we believe it. And sometimes we get so defeated and we get so down. And guys, it's just a spiritual life. The Christian walk is the hardest walk you are ever going to face. Because a Christian, not only in ministry, guys, I learned that a long time ago when I surrendered. I had somebody tell me, Brandon, ministry is the best and the worst. You get to experience the best of people, but you also get to experience the worst of people. You get to experience the best of people's life, but you also have to be there in the worst of life. You get to see the weddings, but you also have to see the funerals. You see the people getting saved, but you also have to be with the ones that aren't. But guys, not only am I called to that, you are as well. Anybody that is saved by the blood is called to go out into this world to be a minister to the lost and the needy and to be the salt and the light of the world. And when you do that by faith and you walk out of this church and you start to minister to people and you start to love on people and you start to try to teach them what Jesus would tell them and you start to try to encourage them and do all the things you're supposed to do, Satan in that moment will put a hammer on you to try to stop you in your tracks. And that's why church on a Sunday morning at Hillcrest and all over the world and all over the country, church should not be a habit. 
It should be a place where we come just for a moment to refill, to love each other, to care for one another, to encourage one another, and to have unity with one another. And if you can't have that in church, where in the world are you going to be able to find it, my friend? And there's a reason why people are so defeated. And I believe it's because when they come into church sometimes on a Sunday morning, they don't leave with the encouragement, not just from the pulpit, but from the loved ones and the people that they are unified with through the cross of Jesus Christ. Guys, we need unity. And Paul is going to tell us in Philippians 2 that many times circumstance tries to rob us of our joy, but also people often rob us of our joy. Ministry in church would be very easy without people. Y'all know that? It would be simple. It would be easy. If it was just me or just a few, we would go on just fine. But let me tell you something. It would be awfully boring without people. It would also be very unfulfilling without people. If you don't have people, you don't have anybody to share your gifts with. If you don't have people, you don't have anybody to love on. And if you don't have people, you have nobody to share the gospel with. And those are the things that fulfill our life and God uses in our life that we get to help other folks. But we must remember that all that we do, guys, I don't care who you are today, whether you're a Sunday school teacher or whether you're a preacher or whether you're a preacher in waiting and God hasn't quite called you to the church yet, or you're a deacon, or you're a security person, or you're helping in Awana, or, or, or if you're giving snacks, or you're giving whatever it is that you're serving, you're ushering, you're at the door on Sunday morning. I want you to understand something and never forget it. You don't do one thing for this church. You don't do one thing for people. All that you do is for Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ only. Because, guys, I'm going to give you an honest truth. The encouragement always runs out. The praises always run dry. And at the end of time, and it is just you, and it is just you serving, Jesus is all we got. But Jesus is all we need, and Jesus is why we do what we do. But I think often we forget why we do what we do. We end up doing it for the praise of men. We do it for the glory. We do it so somebody can pat us on the back and tell us, good job, you're doing great. That's not the right reason to do anything for Christ. Amen. We do it because we are called out people that Jesus has saved us by his blood and he has called us into a sanctified life to live towards him, to work for him, and to live out our faith. Guys, so many times we don't live out our faith. We talk about faith. We, we speak about faith. We all say we have faith. Faith, 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 faith. Amen. But faith is an action word. Faith is something that we must put in action. And God will then do a miracle because of that faith. Amen. But Paul is writing to the Philippian church. This Philippian church was a strong church. It was full of vision and it was on a mission. It was not complacent. It was moving for Jesus. And then in this moment is when he said, I'm going to give you the warning now to be unified. I believe God is doing amazing work at Hillcrest Baptist Church. I believe that he is saving and he, people are joining. And I don't believe we've even touched the beginning of what God is going to do here. 
I believe that God's got his man wherever he is and God is already preparing his heart and I believe he's preparing this church's heart and all we want to do is lift up his hands right now and God is about to do something here that only he can do. But guys, we must understand when we are busy, when we aren't complacent, and we are trying to do everything God's called us to do, that's the moment where we must guard ourselves. We must guard who we are and what we're doing and be unified more than ever. The busier church is, the more it must concentrate on unity because the more people, the more workers, the more ideas, that is the better, but also with all of those things come differences. But Paul writes the Philippian church to remind them to remain unified, to give us the example that we need as our church going forward. Amen? But Christians need to follow these steps simply in God's Word if we can be the church that we need to be. So let's pray, and y'all go to Philippians 2, and we'll get started. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, again, thank you for your blessings that you give us. Lord, we ain't worthy. There ain't nobody in this place worthy. Lord, we have so many blessings that we don't deserve. Lord, so many times we start to, to rise up in pride. We start to think it's about us. We start to think, Lord, look what I've done. And Lord, we, we're nothing. We're filthy rags. And Lord, I'm thankful, God, for your grace and your mercy this morning. And Lord, I pray, God, that as a church that we can band together like none, no other time that we ever have. Lord, it's in the good times that we still need to block the doors we still need to guard our hearts and we still need to understand why we are here. And it is not to be served, but it is to serve you. Lord, all that we do is for you, Jesus, and nothing else. And Lord, let us get our minds and our eyes and our ears and our hearts all on you this morning and nothing else. In Jesus' name, amen. So the first thing that we must see that Paul says in Philippians 2, to be of one accord and of one mind. In verse 1 of chapter 2, it says, If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves." Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Sometimes the hardest things to do are the good things. It's not easy to love people, and it's not easy to esteem other people. It's not easy to put other people up higher than ourselves. It is, it's hard to do that. But God is calling each and every single one of us to say, it's not about you, it's about somebody else and you serving me. But guys, what we see in verse 1, he says, we must be an encouraging church. He says, if there be any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love. A consolation there means encouragement. To comfort, solace, exhort, to strengthen. Guys, we're, I don't know if you, I think everybody in here sees that we're in a discouraging world, right? It's very discouraging. Every time you cut on the news, it's discouraging. Every time your kids come home from school, it's discouraging. Half the time you leave youth department, it's discouraging. <laughs> but I'm just going to be honest with you. We fight it all the time. And guys, in those months, they know. Y'all know what I'm talking about. 
But guys, it's in those moments where we need uplifters. Guys, who in the world has ever come up to you in that right moment where God has sent this person right into your path at the right moment to give you an encouraging word? Oh my gosh, I can look back in the, just the short time I've been in the ministry and I can think of all the people God has sent in my path in the very second where I'm just like, I'm quitting. This ain't for me. I ain't got the strength. And you have that person that comes up to you and says, charge on. Charge on. Keep going. Keep working. Just keep on going for Jesus. You can do it. I remember when I was at Barton's Creek, when I, when I, uh, when they, 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 um, when I was first came into the ministry, they were the ones that were, they were good to me during that time. And I remember there was a lady there in that church. Nobody was calling. Nobody was asking me to preach. Nobody was letting me do much of anything. And her name was Miss Robbie. And in that moment, she was who I needed in my life. You know, she was up in her 80s, and, you know, she was just this lady and that most people would overlook. And I remember on a, on, I'd surrendered to the ministry, and I thought that God was going to allow me to do all these amazing things. And, God, I have surrendered. I'm available for your use and you're just going to swing open the doors for me. I'm ready to walk in, Lord. That's not the way it happened. I surrendered to the ministry, and before you knew it, I was back working Gowana on Wednesday night for second graders. And you know what? I was saying, God, I'm not supposed to be here. I surrendered to the ministry. I'm supposed to be a preacher. And God said, well, just preach to them kids, and I did. Those second graders, every single week, they would say, use preacher voice, Brother Brandon, use preacher voice. I'm telling you, I was hammering them like they couldn't be hammered in there. And, you know, the funny thing is, I was like, I'm going to get in trouble because ain't nobody else preaching to the second graders like I am in here. I'm telling you. But every week that I wouldn't preach, they would say, use preacher voice, Brother Brandon. But I got discouraged. And I was just kind of like not seeing the things that God was doing. We miss so many times what God's got us in in the moment that he's got us. You know, that boot camp is necessary. You know that? Boot camp is where you get your training. Boot camp is where God starts to form you and starts to make you. And he's not going to let you go forward until you've done went through training and you're ready. But I remember there was a woman, she would come up to me. It seemed like I, I would go home to Gina and I would say, Gina, I'm just... I'm telling you, I'm struggling. You know, if you've got a, a wife that'll listen to all your heartaches, I don't, hold on to her. She has listened to my griping and to my whining and to all my complaints. And, you know, she always told me, just hang on, just hang on, just hang on. And I remember, though, God would send me these people in my life in the very right second. And here come Miss Robbie. And she would say, son, just keep a going. You can preach now. God's going to use you now, but don't you get a big head. She said, God ain't ever going to use you if you get your big head. But she said, keep going. And guys, it was those little things that helped keep me going. It was those little nuggets that God just sends in your life to keep you moving for him. But any consolation, encouragement, in a discouraging world, the church should be a place of encouragement. As Christ comforts us, we are to go to comfort others. Guys, so many times we're like, I don't have the gift of encouragement. 
I understand that not everybody's got the gift of encouragement, but we should still be striving to encourage each other. I mean, what happens when we say, if you ain't got something, something nice to say, just don't say it. I mean, that's just the simple things that we tell our kids. Sometimes we need that in our own life. If you don't got something nice to say, just hush. Pray for the person, but don't sit there and discourage them. And if you're not working for Jesus, the last thing you need to do is discourage those that are trying. And so many times we want to throw water on everybody else. You know why? Because it convicts us that other people are trying to live for Jesus and we're not. And we would rather bring people down to our level instead of rushing them up and, and feeding their flame. But what we need is a little spark in our own britches to us to start moving for Jesus and to start living for him. And then we would understand how important encouragement is. But as Christ comforts us, we are to comfort others. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even also ye do in 1 Thessalonians. Two, not only should we be an encouraging church, we should be a loving church. In verse 1, it says, If there are any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another, as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one to another. John 13. What love God bestowed on us that we did not deserve. Guys, if you don't understand what God done for you, you need to understand. We're going to get into humility here in a moment. But guys, you must humble yourself enough to see where you are without Christ. That you are not good. That you are not Again, I say this all the time. You're not who mama says that you are. You are who God tells you that you are. And me up against an all-knowing, perfect, loving God, I am absolutely filth. Filth. My mind goes to places that it shouldn't go. The moment that I'm trying to serve Jesus, I'm, I'm whining or I'm complaining. Guys, that's still me. I still struggle with all the things, the same things that you do. But that, the more I dig into God's Word, the more I realize how good God is. And the more you realize how bad you are and how good God is, it starts to transform you in a way that only God can. It creates in us a humility. I've never understood Christians that aren't humble. I've never understood Christians that walk around like they're something because if anybody should understand that they're nothing, it's Christians. Because the only way to come to the cross is down saying, God, save me. I can't save myself. I'm flat on my back. But God's love anyway saved us and he cared for us. But that should create in us a loving church. What God bestowed on us that we didn't deserve, the church should share a common bond that should unify each other. And does the love of Christ flow out of us? It should. Does the love of Christ flow out of you? When you're living your life, does people see Jesus in you? They should. I, I love what Brandon said this morning. He said, uh, Brandon Bates to the kids, he said, if your mouth was tied shut and you had tape all over your mouth and you couldn't say what God's done for you, would people still be able to see it in the way that you walk? Because I think sometimes we do a lot of this but we don't do a lot of working and putting our hands out to actually do it. 
Guys, God, and we're going to see next week that God was not a, Jesus was not a man that just talked the talk. He was a man who walked the walk. And guys, I think so many times we like to talk, but we don't like to walk. And guys, we must understand that the love that we show to people should be coming out of us, proving where our faith is. We put our faith in Jesus, then our faith should be an action coming out of us. It should produce good works out of us. You know that? I, I, I'm going to get into that at the end, but I don't understand anybody that comes through true saving faith doesn't automatically have good works come out. But we are to also be a fellowshipping church. In verse 1, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies. But the moment, guys, that we are saved, we are filled with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit guides us, He teaches us, and He grows us. And guys, we should want to fellowship with one another. I see so many times that our fellowship is better with lost people than it is with Christians. We would rather fellowship over a football game or we would rather fellowship over um, anything secular. But when we get to talking about Jesus, I see Christians get uncomfortable. That doesn't make any sense. I remember there was a time Gina was at the mall and I am not a shopper. I hate it. I'm telling you, I'd wear the same jacket every week if I could. And if it wasn't for somebody, Mama or, some, or Gina buying them from me, I'd probably wear the same jacket every week. I don't like shopping. It's not my thing. And we will go to the mall. Amen, I know. We'll go to the mall. My knees start to hurt. My back starts to hurt. As soon as I walk in the door, I'm like, oh, I'm hurting. I just don't want to be here. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. It's immediate. And, you know, and she'll go shopping, and I'm like, okay, she's going into so-and-so. I got an hour to sit here. And she takes forever to try on anything, and I'm like, please come on. Like, it takes me like five seconds. I don't even try it on. I go by faith. <laughs> and I'm sitting here, and I'll find me a spot, and I got me a spot right here next to the, uh, right out here waiting, you know, and people watching, looking, you know. And it never fails that somebody will come and sit right next to me. And I talk to anybody. Hey, how you doing, man? Are you in misery too? Yeah, I'm in misery too. Amen. <laughs> but it never fails that God will put somebody in my path that 90% of the time, man, it seems like it's another Christian brother. And I'll get to talking to them and I'll say, man, hey, you go to church? Yeah, I go to church. Where you go to church? Oh, I go here. And before you know it, our entire conversation is just about Jesus. And I don't know them from anybody. But there is a unified bond whether I know them or not because I'm like, you're a brother in Christ, amen? And we get excited and we get to talking. And, oh, hey, where are you? oh you're a preacher. Oh, you're this or oh, you're that. But guys, how often do we not find ourselves with fellowshipping with other believers? Why? Because it seems like we must be going in opposite directions. Guys, this church right here should be going in one direction. Now, I'm not saying we're, going to be, we're not going to make mistakes. We're all going to have little hiccups. We're all going to have struggles. We're all going to have issues. We're all going to have speed bumps. But guys, overall, we should be going in one direction for one purpose and for one reason. And guys, we must be wanting to fellowship with one another beyond what the world even understands. Only other believers understand the life that we have in Christ. I mean, you get to talking to an unbeliever, they think you're crazy. I don't even understand what you're talking about. 
Oh, I mean, I gave my life to Jesus. Huh? What? And I can't fellowship with them like I would another believer that understands what I've been through and that God has done in their life as well. Guys, this right here, this room right here, half of us know each other, maybe some don't. It took me a good long time to start to get to know everybody. I still don't know everybody. It's a pretty good-sized church. But I'm going to tell you something. Your best friends should be right here. The people that you lean on in your life should be right here, or they should be Christians outside of here. Now you say, well, Brendan, I got friends that are secular. You good, that's good, amen, but you should be bringing them up and out, not you going to join them where they are, amen? And so, guys, we must understand that fellowshipping church is important. When you meet another believer, even outside of the church, there is a common bond that can only be explained by Jesus. Four, we are to be a compassionate church. It says, if any fellowship of the Spirit, of any bowels and mercies. We are to care about each other's suffering. We are to care enough to pray. We are to care enough to go after. And as God show compassion to us, let us show compassion to others. Guys, there's people here that need prayer. There's people here that are hurting. There's people here in our presence right here that are going through things that we don't even understand what they're going through. But people have got to have a place where they can let things out, that they can trust other people to say, I need you as a brother and sister to pray with me. I need somebody that I can lean on because I'm struggling going through this life. It is hard to live the Christian life all by yourself. I mean, I always compared it to like when you look at in Africa or whatever and you see all the animals and you see all these herds of people, these, these herds of animals, they're all going one way. Maybe it's a buffalo or whatever it is. And you're watching these, uh, these, these nature shows. And what does the lion do every time? He can't do anything when the herd is together. But when he can get one or two off by themselves, he will devour it every time. Well, I know that the Bible says that the devil is a roaring lion seeking who he may devour. And he is seeking people week after week after week. Who can I get in Hillcrest to be all by themselves? They're the only ones struggling. Oh, Lord, I'm the only one going through this. I'm the only one having these issues. No, you're not. We sew up in our pride and we start to think that we have no issues. But instead of this becoming a place for people to be able to lean on one another, it becomes a place where we don't even trust one another. I'm scared they're going to say something. I'm scared they're going to tell somebody. I'm scared they're going to gossip against me. Guys, we must be a place that has compassion on each other. Five, we should be a joyful church. Fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and one mind. He got, uh, Paul said, fulfill my joy and love one another, have compassion with each other, have fellowship with one another, encourage each other. Please, please, if you want your pastor to be happy, if you want a happy church, if you want a joyful church, fulfill their joy and love and care for one another. Instead of criticism, instead of dissatisfaction, instead of clicks, instead of opposition, maybe we should focus on building. Maybe we should be focused on ministering. Maybe we should be focus, focusing on serving because Jesus is, again, the one who unites us. We're so quick to gripe. 
but we're so slow to help. We're so quick to tell somebody else how good you could do it, but yet we don't volunteer to do it. We're so fast to tell other people of how bad you're doing your job. Come on, sign up. I had a man not too long ago pull me over on the school bus. Y'all don't realize I drive a school bus. I get here in the mornings, but in the morning, I said, I might as well get paid a little bit to drive my kids to school. And so I've always drove a school bus. It tests your patience. It tests your faith. It tests everything. Everybody loses their mind when they see a school bus coming. I got to zip in front of them, or I got to do this, or I got to do that. I had a guy the other day. I was picking these kids up. Come on, children. And I blocked the road because I pulled in an angle because people are crazy, and I'm scared they're going to run past the stop sign. And this man got mad at me because I said, I got to get in this little road right here. You're blocking it. Can I get right there? What? What? I'm like, what do you mean what? Like, I need in there. I got a bus full of kids. It's just you, buddy. And I'm being nice. And he, got, he pulls up beside me, rolls that window down. I slide mine open. I'm like, what's going on, man? I said, I need that road right there. I can't get in where you blocked me. I mean, we're in Watertown. There's nobody there. It's just me and him at a standoff. And he comes up beside me and he says, I've been watching you. Who have you been watching? You've been watching me? He said, you're a dangerous driver. I said, I'm a good driver. I said, I've never had an accident. What are you talking about, man? And he said, I can tell you, well, you're dangerous and you don't need to be driving. And I said, sir, to all defense, uh, to all respect, I said, we short about 40 drivers. And I said, if you think you can do it better, why don't you go up to the Wilson County bus shop, sign up, and you can tell me how you can do. Amen? But the church has become the same way. We want to gripe to tell everybody else how they should be doing their job. Why don't we sign up? Because I believe that God is wanting some of y'all to use your gifts that God's bestowed on you in the moment that you got saved. Amen? And God has given you certain gifts. He's given you certain qualities. He's given you something that only He gave you. And He said, this is a gift to glorify me. And we say, Lord, I know I'm your hands and feet, but I'm going to set on my hands. Get off our hands because it will fulfill you in a way that you never knew when you jump out by faith and start serving Jesus. Amen? We should be a joyful church. Six, we should be a humble church. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Avoid this, Paul says. The reason for most church problems are strife and vainglory. Jealousy creeps in. Envy creeps in. Desire for position and recognition and flattery steps in. And all you do, like I said at the beginning, isn't for people. It is for God and God alone. And if you live for praise, the praise will run out. Praise does not last forever, and you will suffer when praise does run out because our focus has got to be on the reason of why we're doing what we do in the first place. The Bible says that God hates pride. He hates pride. 
James 4, 6 says, But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but he giveth grace to the humble. Why do you think it's important to be humble? Because humble people give God the credit, while proud people tend to take the credit for themselves of what God is doing. Guys, I'm going to give you something. God don't need any of us in this place. He does not need me. He doesn't need David. He doesn't need Troy. He doesn't need Rachel. He doesn't need you. And the fact that God uses us at all should make us hit our knees because He does not need us. And He will use others to get His will done. Those people that are willing and ready to work, He'll say, you know what, Brandon, you think you something? Sir, why don't you step aside? I'll put somebody else to get my will done. He don't need us. And we must remember that God don't need us. And the fact that he uses us at all should humble us. That God lets me do what I get to do. He lets me teach. He lets me preach. He lets me serve. He lets me do this. Instead, man, we're we're walking around so many times like, I got to do this. I got to do that. Guys, we get to. We get to. Humility demands honest evaluation of ourselves, of who we really are. Let's stop focusing on us and our wants, but let's focus on Jesus and have faith in Him and what He's doing. Guys, faith is something that has just been on my heart and mind a lot. Faith. What it means to have faith. Faith, faith, faith. Every time that you have an issue, have faith. Every time that we tell somebody that how to get through a problem, have faith. Every time the church is going through something, have faith. Have faith. Have faith. Have faith. And that's the right answer. Have faith. But what is faith? The Bible says that without faith, we can't please Him. And faith without works is dead. And we start to Say, well, God, I have faith, but my faith is not producing anything in my life. True faith should start to produce a good work in you. Because of our faith in Jesus, because of what we've given Him, because of what He's done for us, because of His grace through faith that we trust only Him to save us, And when a man truly understands that God has saved them and he has snatched them from an eternity in hell, he has put them on a new path, and it has nothing to do with them, but they are just filthy rags, it creates in us a new man. Maybe not absolutely immediately you're going to be what you are going to be, but there's something immediately that sparks in that new person. There is a moment of sanctification that starts the moment that you give your life to Jesus. And I understand that there's people that are backslidden. Guys, backslidden people, you can't stay backslidden forever. If you're backslidden, sometimes we give God the excuse, well, I'm just backslidden. If you are aware enough to say, God, I'm backslidden, and don't do anything about it, and it, God doesn't drive you to back to repentance, my friend, I don't know if you truly understand what it means to be backslidden. Backslidden Christians are miserable until they get back into God's house and back into fellowship with Him. But lost people that if sometimes we say, God, I have faith, 
I think sometimes we've just given him our lip service. Faith. Forsaking all, I trust him. Forsaking means to leave behind. Forsaking. Forsaking. I'm no longer going to be living for me. I'm living for Jesus. That moment that God starts to call you by name and you're under conviction and God is tugging you by name. He's tugging your heart. And you say, God, I'm about to give you my life, but I'm leaving behind what was behind and I'm trusting only in you. Who can witness to that moment? That moment that we said, Lord, I'm forsaking. I'm forsaking my wants. I'm forsaking my ambitions and I'm following you. I don't know what that's going to look like, but I'm going towards you, Jesus. All. All means all. God, I'm giving you all of me. And Lord, I know there ain't much to give, but I'm giving you whatever there is of me to you, my King and my Lord. I don't know if we understand what it means to have a lordship salvation. That God is Lord. Not God is buddy. Not God is friend. He's, he is our friend, but before any of that, he is our Lord. I. It is a personal thing. I. My decision to follow Jesus, Lord, I'm following you, that you alone must make. Your mama can't make that decision for you. Your daddy can't make that decision for you. God wants a personal relationship with you. You. Nobody else. You. And God, so many times that I is what we, we, we go. We said, well, we're not going to church. I do everything I'm supposed to do. I, get, I got baptized. Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? Do you feel him in your life? Do you commune with him? Do you talk with him? Do you speak with him? Do you have those moments alone where all you can think about, man, Jesus, I got to speak to you, Lord. But so many times we make him an afterthought and we just do the stuff. We do the activities. But guys, I want you to understand, you must have a personal relationship with him. T, trust. I am forsaking all I Trust Jesus. What does it mean to fully trust somebody? It means that we fully rely on him. God, I don't understand all this. I don't understand what's going to happen. I don't understand what you want for my life. I don't get it. I don't know what to do. There ain't much of me, but I'm willing to give it to you. And Lord, I just know that I'm forsaking all and I'm trusting you. And in that moment, we sat down on Jesus Lord, it's you. It's you. I, I'm not going to second guess it. God, I'm putting my faith in you. And I'm, not, I'm taking my hands off of my life. I say it all the time. I'll go where you want me to go. I'll be what you want me to be, and I'll say what you want me to say. And if we will give God the minimum, he will take that. If we are true faith and we truly want to trust in him, he will take the rest and make us into what he wants us to be. Now that time of sanctification might take 30, it's going to take our entire life. I'm never going to make it. I'm never going to be completed until I get to be in heaven with him. Understand that. 
But it is that point where we're saying, God, I'm yours to do as you will. Mold me, make me into what you want me to be. Him. Forsaking all, I trust Him. Who is Him? Him is Jesus. Jesus and His wants. Jesus and His teachings. Jesus and His life. Jesus and His death. Jesus and His resurrection. That Jesus and Jesus only can save us. Nothing else. It was said a long time ago, they said, what does it mean to to follow Jesus, to trust in Him? It means that if I died today, and if I busted hell wide open, I'm going trusting Jesus. He's all I got. I'm giving him my all. He's, it's either Jesus or nothing. It's either Jesus or nothing else. I have nothing else to lean on. And I made that decision when he called me by name. Jesus, you're all I have and you're all I need. It's either you, Jesus, or it is nothing at all. And I'm going to plant my feet on that, whether people think I'm crazy, whether people think I'm mad, or whether people think I'm stupid. I am planting my faith in Jesus Christ. And it doesn't matter about anything else. I'm trusting only Him. But guys, I want you to understand, all throughout this Word, we look at the Hall of Faith. And I'm not saying people don't struggle and people make mistakes. And people do. We do. We're human. We do. We sin. We struggle. But everywhere in this Word, when people had faith in God, it was followed by transformation in their life. Because I want you to understand, how can we claim faith in Jesus? Forsaking all, I trust Him. God, here, eh, here I am. How in the world can true faith in Christ not produce a new work in you? It's impossible. It's impossible for God to be Lord, but yet not Lord at all. Are y'all with me? True faith produces works. You are not saved by works. You're saved through faith and God's grace. But true saving faith produces a new man and a new woman and a new creature. A new creation. And so many times we want to look over that in today's society. Oh, no, they're fine. God's grace, God's Amen, I'm saved again by God's grace. Without it, I would do nothing. But we cannot, there is a difference, guys, in a person who is convicted of their sin. There is a difference in a person who is convicted of their sin and struggles with their sin. And in a person that says, God, what are you going to do about it? I'm fine with living in my sin. Guys, I hope we understand that. That faith produces action and produces transformation. And if you find yourself in a place of no joy, no encouragement, no love, no fellowship, and you're full of pride, maybe you need to place your faith in Jesus. Maybe today you are saved and you've put all your faith in Him. You've trusted only Him with what you, what you can give Him. Maybe you just need to remember that commitment that we've made to Him. That, Lord, it's all you. It's none of us. And whatever God's calling you to do today, come. I was worried about that because I'm like, Lord, I don't want people to think that it's about works. 
But we've cheapened grace. We've cheapened it. We've made it where it's about us and not about Him. Guys, apart from Him, we're nothing. But with Him, we have hope in heaven. But there is something that He requires of us, and that's us. He wants us. He wants you. He doesn't want you to say, God, here I am, but you don't mean it. That's why I told you last week when I got saved, it was hard. It was not just a waltz down the aisle kind of thing. Like, hey man, I'm great. It was once I got up out of the seat. The moment that my butt left the seat this much, I went to jubilation. Because I knew that no matter where God took me, He was going to take care of me. But that moment before, I was fearful and I was scared to give God my life. But in that moment, we must trust in only Him. And He'll take the rest. But we got to trust Him by faith first. God, here I am. Send me, take me, use me. And God will do the rest. Amen?